G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to cover some of the highlights from the Linux Security Summit in Europe that's been going on for the last couple of days in Bilbao in Spain. Plus, uh, MITRE have published the Top 25 Most Stubborn Weaknesses report, so looking at the Top 25 uh, Most Stubborn CWEs over the past few years, so we're going to dive into that as well. But first, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So this week, there were 88 unique CVEs addressed by the team, and we had an update for OpenVM tools first. So this is the package that you install inside your VMs uh, when using uh, the VMware uh, hypervisor. So OpenVM tools supports the ability to authenticate to it remotely using SAML authentication, and it failed to properly validate SAML tokens. Uh, internally, it uses the XMLSec library, uh, but when verifying the signature on the SAML document, it failed to configure the library to only use the X509 certificate for validation. And so then, uh, since presumably in this case, an attacker could intercept the SAML token, they could then replace that X509 cert with a different type of signature that would then uh, be validated and trusted by the XMLSec library and allow them to gain access to the VM. So that was fixed uh, by just simply adding in uh, that enforcement. Then we had an update for Postgres uh, for our Ubuntu 16.04 users with Ubuntu Pro. Uh, in this case, I talked about this update actually back in episode 206 for our regular releases. Uh, so this fix here yeah, has been brought back to that release there. It was a single issue here which allowed an attacker to escalate their privileges. If they had the create privilege, they would then be able to leverage that to execute arbitrary code as the bootstrap super user. Ghost script was updated for a couple CVEs uh, for a few of our older releases. So 2004 LTS, 1804 and 1604. Again, both of those available through Ubuntu Pro. Uh, in this case, there was a divide by zero plus a buffer overflow in the handling of crafted PDFs. So both of those could lead to a denial of service or possible remote code execution. Now, then we had an update for libwebp, and this touches actually a few different packages. So I'm going to start with libwebp first. Uh, this is a library for handling uh, the webp image format. Uh, this is a single CVE, and this update is for our more recent releases. So Ubuntu releases 20.04 LTS, 20.204 LTS, and 23.04. In this case, it was a heat buffer overflow uh, that could then lead to an out-of-bounds write and therefore remote code execution. Now, often I describe these things as could potentially lead to remote execution, but I think we actually know this one did because uh, this vulnerability was originally reported as a vulnerability in Chrome on the 12th of September. And now I'm talking about this, well, 10 days later than that, uh, because what happened was Google reported it as a vulnerability in Chrome with that uh, release on the 12th of September. Uh, however, it was described as yeah, a vulnerability in, in WebP in Chrome. And then the impact of that actually applying to the upstream WebP project wasn't necessarily clear. Uh, that then meant it took a few days for uh, upstream to kind of release that, for distros to notice that, and then for even downstreams like Firefox, which embeds its own copy of LibWebP to release their update. Uh, Solar Designer, the uh, administrator of the OSS security mailing list and others, uh, has actually a good thread about this that just came out uh, in the last few hours. So I've got a link to that in the show notes, but basically details some of that timeline. And I think it sort of shows, yeah, where sometimes uh, the disclosure process perhaps goes a bit uh, awry. Uh, but yeah, interesting to see, I guess, if there's any more fallout from that. But as I say, speaking of that, then there was an update for Firefox uh, to a new version 117.0.1 to include that fix for LibWebP. And similarly, a Thunderbird update as well, because Thunderbird is built on a lot of the same code base as Firefox. 
So that's rolled in uh, six EV fixes, including that BigWeb P1 as well. Uh, so they had yet yeah, a bunch of views after freeze. Uh, they also added uh, .xll files to their standard block list that warns users when downloading executables. So it wouldn't uh, warn on that. Uh, and yeah, XLL files are uh, add-ins for uh, Excel on uh, Microsoft Windows. Uh, but yeah, so more of a Windows issue there. Uh, plus they fixed some apparent memory safety bugs. That's literally all the description there. So, you know, an update there for Thunderbird. Uh, then we had an update for mod security. So this update is for mod security in all of our supported releases, basically. So uh, 2204, 2004, 1804, 1804, and 1404. So uh, three different CVEs rolled into that. Uh, the first of these issues was a CPU-based denial of service when parsing excessively nested JSON objects. Uh, you would need to provide uh, JSON objects that were nested to tens of thousands of objects deep, but yeah, that was fixed. Uh, mishandling of null bytes in file uploads. So basically, if you could specify a file name that contained uh, null bytes, so basically a zero, uh, which normally is the a string terminator. As you can imagine here, it was using string functions then to process that file name. It would then uh, truncate that to the first, uh, when it found the first null byte, uh, but the length of the string that it would be using internally was longer than that, and that could then result in a buffer overread eventually, or you could potentially bypass um, web application firewall settings for rules that would then try to read the file name from the files temp content variable, uh, which allows them to kind of access the file name of a file that was uploaded. In this case, it would only have that first part of the file name, not the full file name as a result. So they could potentially bypass that. Uh, as well as another bypass for uh, the web application firewall uh, because it would mishandle HTTP multipart requests as well that was fixed. LibSSH2 was updated for uh, an out-of-bounds read, again, going all the way back to 1404 uh, and all the way through to 2004 LTS. Uh, this has a bit of a low impact because it does require you to connect to a malicious server to trigger it, uh, and, and the outcome is really just denial of service, but that was fixed as well. Uh, Dbus for our 1604 release was updated. Uh, in this case, there was the ability to crash the Dbus daemon uh, by an unprivileged user, which sounds bad, but in this case, it's mitigated because it's only able to be triggered if you have a privileged user that is using the inbuilt monitoring interface of Dbus to monitor traffic on there. Uh, and so you'd, you'd really need an admin to be doing that. Maybe you could socially engineer them to start running Dbus monitor or something like that. I don't know, uh, to then be able to trigger this. But given that the outcome was only a denial of service anyway, and uh, Dbus will be restarted by systemd, has a bit of a low impact as well. Uh, Gork was updated. Uh, this is for, again, all of our supported releases basically. So from 2204 LTS all the way back to 1404. Uh, in this case, it was a heap uh, out of bounds read and therefore a denial of service that you could trigger against that. Uh, MUT was updated for a couple different issues, again, for all of our supported releases, uh, but going back to 1604. In this case, uh, there were two different null pointer D references that could be triggered, one when viewing a crafted email and another when composing from a specially crafted draft email. But again, both of those just a denial of service really uh, that you could trigger through that. ATFTP was updated because you could crash the TFTP daemon uh, if requesting a file that didn't exist. Uh, but that actually, that turned out to be a buffer overflow. So you could possibly get code execution through that. Uh, C errors was updated for an out of bounds read when parsing a crafted start of authority reply. 
Uh, LibRaw was updated uh, because it failed to reject images with invalid pixel aspect ratios, leading to an out-of-bounds read and therefore crash. So it looks like we've got a lot of different denial-of-service type vulnerabilities this week. Again, another denial-of-service in Django uh, through handling of URIs with very large number of Unicode characters. In this case, it's a CPU-based denial-of-service because the algorithm that it used would uh, basically parse the URI starting at the start of that string every time until it hit an invalid Unicode character. So so if there were, say, you know, 100 different uh, invalid Unicode characters in there, it would parse from the start of that string 100 times instead of just continuing from uh, where it last found the last one. So you can imagine if you provide a really, really long uh, URI to that with lots of different invalid Unicode characters spread throughout that, you could uh, get a denial of service, but that was fixed to just improve that algorithm. Uh, VSFTPD was updated. Uh, in this case, it was uh, for uh, this attack that called Alpaca that was announced back in 2021. And that's a possible application layer confusion attack. It essentially abuses wildcard or multi-domain uh, certificates to redirect traffic from one domain to another. Vinutils uh, was updated for uh, eight different CVEs in uh, older releases that are supported now through Ubuntu Pro. So 1804, 1604, and 1404. Now, we generally advise that binutils is not safe to run on untrusted inputs, and that's where all of these vulnerabilities are, but we fixed them nonetheless. So there were memory leaks in the NM binary, plus also memory leaks when disassembling microblaze instructions, uh, both of those denial of service, also various buffer overflows in various different functions, uh, a failure to a zero memory that could lead to an information leak, an out-of-bounds read in obstump, a heat buffer overflow in read elf. Uh, so yeah, in general, like I said, we don't advise that you run bin utils on untrusted stuff, but I suppose if you're doing reverse engineering, uh, you probably then want to run it in a VM or a container at least. Node.js was updated for six CVEs. Uh, in this case, you could trigger an abort when sending a crafted X509 certificate. Uh, two different HTTP request smuggling attacks were fixed there. There was also the ability to bypass HTTP authorization settings since it would include white space in HTTP headers and therefore allowing uh, various checks on those to be bypassed. Plus some memory corruption issues in the various uh, parts of the Node.js code base that are implemented in C. Uh, memcached was updated for a null pointer dereference that could be triggered upon reception of a UDP multi-packet request. Uh, and uh, the GNU indent in utility was updated uh, for a heat buffer overflow. So if you are you know, indenting untrusted code, I suppose that could possibly be uh, triggered leading to therefore a denial of service or possible code execution. So if, I guess if you have any kind of uh, automated services that are doing uh, indentation on uh, untrusted code uploads, you, know, you are now a bit safer against those. And finally, to finish uh, the security updates this week, we've got the usual list of kernel updates. Thanks, as always, to the kernel team. Uh, and so in this case, uh, we've got an update for the Intel IoTG kernel, which has eight different CVEs fixed on Ubuntu 22.04. Uh, and this is the same set of vulnerabilities that I talked about uh, back in, I think, last week's episode for some other kernels. But speaking of new vulnerabilities, then we had a kernel update for the 6.2 kernel for Ubuntu 23.04 that contained five different high priority vulnerabilities here. This is also the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 22.04, so relevant to a lot of different users there. In this case, uh, there was a speculative execution leak that could be uh, triggered when performing a divide by zero on various AMD processors. There was also possible privilege escalation on ARM64 in the KVM implementation. In this case, uh, the guest VM could then write to host memory and you could therefore get obviously code execution within the host kernel as a result of that. 
Uh, there was a use after free in both uh, the L2 cap socket handling in the Bluetooth subsystem as well as various network packet classifiers. Both of those uh, could lead to uh, denial of service or code execution and in particular uh, the one in the network pack packet classifiers could be triggered via an unprivileged uh, local user if they use an unprivileged user namespace. And similarly, there was a memory leak in the NetFilter subsystem, again, able to be triggered through an unprivileged user namespace there as well. And again, uh, a number of those vulnerabilities were then fixed in other kernel uploads. So we had uh, the OEM kernel on 2204 uh, rolled in both uh, the speculative execution fix on AMD processors plus the memory leak in NetFilter. A separate OEM kernel on 2204 LTS then rolled in 37 CVE fixes. And so uh, that is a 6.0 based kernel. Uh, that is all the aforementioned five high priority vulnerabilities plus yeah, 32 others as well. So kudos to the OEM team and uh, Timo Altenen from the kernel team for uh, the most number of CVEs fixed this week. Uh, then... The 5.15 kernel for 22.04 was updated and including those same uh, high priority fixes. And similarly, the 5.4 kernel on 20.04 was updated and the 4.4 kernel on 16.04 was updated. So yeah, everyone basically has got some kernel updates to install. Uh, make sure you've installed those and uh, yeah, you're a lot safer now. All right, and that is it for this week in security updates. Okay, so a couple other things I wanted to mention this week. As I alluded to last week, uh, most of the team this week have been at the Linux Security Summit in Bilbao in Spain uh, this past week. Uh, and so they've been attending the various events there. Uh, I wanted to, I guess, bring a couple of the highlights that they mentioned from that. So Mark Isler from our team uh, mentioned both uh, Matthew Garrett's talk on hardware-backed per-process secrets. Uh, basically, Matthew then dives into uh, how TPM works and how you can use those both for uh, remote attestation, but also for tying secrets to uh, particular processes, essentially by uh, kind of creating separate uh, storage within uh, the uh, non-volatile memory area of uh, the TPM and then tying that to particular processes or particular uh, namespaces, which is kind of cool. But that does require uh, some probably some kernel support for doing that well and making sure that user space can't tamper with it. But yeah, an interesting idea and an interesting talk there, particularly going into the details of TPMs, if you want to know more about that, and particularly given that I talked about TPMs a bit when talking about TPM-backed full disk encryption a couple episodes ago, yeah, that's a good one to check out when the recording becomes available. But I've got a link in the show notes as well because Matthew's slides are there if you want to dig into those. Another talk that a few different team members mentioned was from uh, Tamas Lengiel from Intel uh, about estimating security risk through repository mining. Essentially, in this talk, they kind of propose that most of the common metrics that we use to assess code quality don't actually uh, do that very well. And perhaps the best measurement really is uh, trying to look at the um, percentage of cognitively complex functions. Now, cognitive complexity is something, I suppose, a relatively new concept at looking at code complexity. Uh, traditionally, there have been measures like cyclomatic complexity that essentially measures how hard it is to test a given function. Whereas cognitive complexity, as the name implies, is more about trying to measure how hard it is to understand a function. And I guess that does give a good kind of intuitive sense that if you can't uh, understand code or if you can't kind of grok it, then it's going to be hard to know, um, you know, is it good quality? Is it easy to maintain? Uh, therefore, you know, it's harder to maintain if you can't understand it. Uh, but also you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, see code vulnerabilities and the like as well. But 
This does then uh, rely on the ability to measure cognitive complexity. And I was doing a bit of a, a research in this myself, and it looks like there's a few different recent studies that seem to show that the current ways of measuring cognitive complexity aren't actually much better at accurately identifying code that is hard to understand than the more traditional measurements like numbers of lines of code or cyclomatic complexity and others. But yes, yeah, certainly an interesting uh, way of looking at code. Um, there is uh, a good white paper on that actually from uh, Sonosource that I've got linked in the show notes. And yeah, as I said, I didn't um, see this talk myself, but Steve Beattie from our team said uh, that it does provide some things for our team to think about in the context of the security reviews that we do of code. Um, essentially, as we've talked about a few times on this podcast, the Ubuntu security team does assess uh, or does do code audits for various packages as part of the main inclusion review process. And if you want to know more about that, I actually talked to Seth Arnold from our team all the way back in episode 32 uh, a number of years ago now. So yeah, make sure you you know haven't listened to that one, go check that one out. It's a really good discussion with Seth about how we do code reviews and the kind of things that we look for there. And yeah, I wonder, you know, do we need to perhaps uh, review some of that process now in light of this talk? So that's certainly one recording that I'll be looking for uh, when it does come out, uh, probably in a month or two, it usually seems to take for these to appear online. So yeah. All right, uh, now, so the other thing I wanted to have a look at this week was Mitre released their list of the 25 most stubborn uh, weaknesses or CWEs. Uh, I did talk about uh, Mitre's top 25 most dangerous uh, weaknesses back in episode 201. And so in this case, they're looking at those uh, top 25 most dangerous CWEs and then seeing over time which CWEs have been in that top 25 list uh, the most over the past five years. And they've found that uh, really that um, that list doesn't change a lot. There have been 15 uh, weaknesses that have been present in every one of that top 25 list from the past uh, five years from MITRE. So uh, they include things like out-of-bounds write, um, cross-site scripting and SQL injection, use after freeze, uh, command injection, uh, improper input validation, uh, path traversal, uh, cross-site request forgery, and uh, use of hard-coded credentials and others. And they found that uh, when looking at these, that they broadly fall into one of three different categories. And that is um, errors when processing data from untrusted sources that then provide an initial entry point for compromise. So basically not having a complete uh, validation when taking untrusted input. Also, um, weaknesses when using languages that don't provide strong memory safety guarantees. So that covers all of the things like out-of-bounds write or use after free or out-of-bounds reads and null pointer references and things that I talk about all the time on this podcast. And then uh, the last one is poor security architecture or design choices as well. So uh, another thing might I do note is that uh, in regards, I guess, to the memory safety type issues that these sorts of things have actually been coming down in recent years, which is a bit of good news. So um, CWE 119, which is improper restriction of operations within bounds of a memory buffer, uh, was once ranked at number one five years ago and is now 17. Uh, and related, but uh, I guess not directly memory related, related to memory safety, uh, but is a more correctness issue, is uh, CWE 19 which is integer overflow or wraparound used to be ranked number five but is now at number seven so you know some of these things are coming down but uh, I guess I do look at that myself and I still see that out of bounds right is number one and it's been number one for a while and that's you know pretty similar to improper restriction of operations within bounds of a memory buffer so uh, I think that's more maybe a case of wishful thinking there from MITRE that these things have been coming down it really does still seem to me like memory safety is uh, the biggest issue that we do see and it's certainly the thing that I talk about the most 
most on this podcast. Um, and so I would say it really does show that if you're implementing any new code, choosing a language that is memory safe will help avoid a lot of the most prevalent security issues. Now, obviously, it won't help with everything. Uh, it doesn't help you, you know, get your code logic correct so that, you know, if you've, I don't know, introduced uh, like the uh, design issues that they talk about, um, it won't help you with that. And it certainly won't help you necessarily with proper input validation as well. That's something you need to make sure you do as well. But it will cut down on a lot of these most dangerous and most stubborn issues that we do see, as I say, out-of-bounds reads and writes and use after freeze and the like. So yeah, um, go Rust, you know, go Golang, all of those other languages. Uh, yeah, definitely, I think, is the way to go from now. All right, that does take us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the podcast is now going to be going on break for a few weeks while I'm off on leave. So I expect we'll be back in your feed on the 20th of October. But until then, as always, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security@ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat and we are on Mastodon at Ubuntu security at fastodon.org if you want to follow us over there too. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. As I said, I'll be back with you all in about yeah, four weeks from now. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.